All right. Good morning. We are so glad that you are here. And I've got great news today. God is on our side. It's incredible. Thank you, Brother Dave, for leading us in worship. And what a powerful song. Take me to the King. How powerful and how wonderful is that? Well, we are in the middle of, uh, actually, we're in, a, in the midst of a no-series Sunday, I guess you'd call it. Um, we got one Sunday today, and we got the children's thing. And then on, on Mother's Day, May the 10th, we're going to be launching our family series. It's going to take us all the way to Father's Day. And it's entitled Family Toolbox. And we're going to look each Sunday at different aspects of what the Bible says about family. And this is so important because our society is bent on rewriting family, marriage, all of that. And we have, listen, we have got to find something, an anchor somewhere to define for us what family is, what marriage is, how should we parent, finances, all of these things. And the anchor we're going to is the anchor that never fails, and that's the Word of God. That's the Word of God. So I'm looking forward on Mother's Day to launching that series. But today I just felt the need to just encourage us today with the fact that God really is for us. God really is for us. And so, of course, I went to Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're going to start We're going to start in verse number 28, that all-familiar scripture about all things work together for good. And then I realized something. I realize that Romans chapter 8, really, the entire chapter falls under the, the me principle. Now, someone might say, what is the me principle? You're supposed to say, well, Dwayne, what is the me principle? Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad you asked. Well, the me principle is really a foodie principle for those of us who think a whole lot of food. And it means simply this. There are some things you eat from the middle out, and there's some things you eat from the edge in. Me, middle, and edge. Now, let me give you an example. Now, what I'm about to say, if you are still at home with your parents, do not try this. If you're at a Baptist potluck, do not try this. This only applies to when you're at home, okay? Or maybe a family reunion, because they already know you anyway. So, let's say, for instance, you have a marvelous dish of macaroni and cheese. I mean, we are talking, we are talking seven kinds of cheeses. What we used to call here, one of our sweet sisters used to bring us Christmas dinner, and she would bring this macaroni and cheese, and what you did was you ate the macaroni and cheese, and then went to the hospital and waited for the heart attack to happen. I mean, heavy cream, everything you can imagine. And so... Um, so when you have this kind of a macaroni and cheese, the gooeyest, the best, the knock your socks off, the awesome part is dead center. And you want to be, we pastors normally try to be humble and wait for y'all to go through the line first before we eat. Not there's this kind of macaroni and cheese. You're on your own. But you get you a spoon and you cut out the heart of the macaroni and cheese. And, and of course the people behind you go. What happened to the middle? The meat principle. Some things you just eat from the middle out. But then there's some things. There's some things like. And I'm going to specifically name a name. Because it's just true. Then there's Wilma Grable's cobblers. Yeah. You know don't you. You know. I, it's kind of a standard question. You can ask the kitchen crews. I kind of have a question. I've been asking this question. 
do we have Wilma Grable's cobbler today? Yeah, I wish she was on every funeral list. You know, every time we have food, Wilma Grable's cobbler. Now, Wilma Grable's cobbler is good for a couple of reasons. Um, one is she's just like like 15 pounds of sugar. I mean, you take a bite and it's like explodes in your mouth. You don't have to wonder if it's sweet. It shouts, I'm sweet. It's incredible. But then there's the crust. And I don't know how she does it. Back in the old days, I know you used to think, you think called shortening. You know, the pig shortening. And that would give you this crispy, crispy crust. I'm not sure. How, and I just had this yesterday. I, I know. And, and this crust, when you, when you put your, the fork or put the spoon in it to scoop it out, it actually crunches. And I'm telling you guys, look at me. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, everyone knows if you're a cobbler person, the best crust is not in the middle. It's the edge. And the reason the best crust is in the edge is because there's more of it. I, I was kind. Um, I did take some cobbler home yesterday. And even though I did the edge, I just didn't scoop enough crust in. And so I got it home and opened the container. And I got a lot of the juicy stuff. But there's only one piece of crust. And being the, oh gosh, the good husband that I am, you know, I said to myself, I'm going to eat this now because if Judy gets home, she'll eat it. <laughs> and sure enough, she opened the container and said, uh, where's the crust? <laughs> oh, sassy, I don't know. So, so there's some things you eat in the middle and there's some things you eat at the edge. And so I found out that Romans 8 is an edge chapter. I, I thought it was macaroni and cheese. But it's not. In fact, we can't even do what we need to do today. What we need to do is back up. We, we could back up all the way to Romans chapter 8 verse 1 where God's word says this. There is now therefore no condemnation, no judgment, no wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could go all the way back and the whole chapter would scream at us. God's for 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 us. We didn't have time to do that. But I did back up a little bit. Because I begin to understand when Paul writes those words and all things work together for good, I begin to understand that that directly related, that 28 related directly to 27. And 27 talks about prayer. Now, prayer is a, a, a different kind of bird. It really is. It's, you know, for us. And the reason I say that is this. Prayer can be the greatest encouragement for you to know that God is for you. Or prayer can be the greatest discouragement that God is for you. And the reason and what, and what determines that is your understanding of 27 and 28, along with some other scriptures. Because here's the deal. Again, and you've heard me say this over and over again, and I'll just keep teaching it. Because I think it's true. That in American culture, that we have twisted prayer around to something that's not quite gelling with Scripture. We have turned prayer into more of a I want list. Uh, it's almost like a Christmas list. It's almost like a letter to Santa Claus. And, and, and then, and then we, we put these things on our prayer list. And God, here's what I want you to do. And the reason it becomes discouraging is because frequently those things don't happen. And we get discouraged. And we begin to think, if we're not careful, 
God's not for me. If God is good, you remember the story, the email from Jacob. The one time I asked you for something, he said, you didn't come through. It seemed you could help everybody, but you couldn't help me. So if we're not careful then, 27, 28, if we don't understand that, then possibly we would become discouraged that we think God is not for us, that God is not on our side, that God doesn't love us. But if we can begin to understand 27 and 28 in the light of, through the lens of, what the scripture really shouts to us about prayer, it really changes a lot of things. Because as much as Jesus said, ask and you shall receive whatever you ask in my name, it's all through the lens of his sovereign will. You can't get around it. It is. Yeah, I find it amazing. And we push back from this. We push back. When, when the boy said to, to Jesus, Lord, you know, John's disciples taught them, you know, he taught them to pray. So we want you to teach us to pray too. And again, you wait. This fall, we're going to hit the Lord's Prayer again, the model prayer again, because it's really speaking into my heart in a big way. And smack dab in the middle of, well, Jesus said, okay, well, when you pray, this is how you're supposed to pray. Okay, this is how you're supposed to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus was asked to teach on prayer, he gives this model prayer. He says, when you pray, you're to say, Father, this is what I would want. But here's the deal. It's your deal over my deal. Thy will be done. It's not a letter to Santa Claus. It's not something that that we ask. And if God doesn't deliver, we go on a pout. We go on a tantrum. That is that twisted theology that somehow we've developed. And it leads to disappointment and thinking that God is not for us. What could be our biggest encouragement becomes our biggest discouragement. It, he, he, he speaks in, in Matthew when he's in the garden. You know, he, he, he's at that hour. He, you know, he, he brought the guys along and said, hey, come and watch him pray. He brought all of them and then he separated out Peter, James, and John and said, I want you to watch him pray with me, okay? Because I'm facing this really big deal and I want you to pray with me. And then the Bible records what he said. And he knew he was facing the cross. He knew he was facing the wrath of his own father. He knew he was facing, you know, God turning his back on the son. He experienced what we will not unless we reject Christ for eternity. And that's eternal separation from God. He experienced the most horrible physical death there ever was. Naturally, I mean, we so appreciate this because it's so much the human side of Jesus. We praise the Lord. If, if, you know, if there is any way, if there is any way that this cup can pass, Please. But nevertheless, all that we would learn, nevertheless. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he goes and the guys are sleeping and he wakes them up and says, What, could you not watch him pray an hour with me? 
Watch him pray lest you enter into temptation. And he goes back and guess what? He prays the second time. He falls on his face and the scripture records that the intensity is so great that he's doing this sweat drop thing. The capillaries are bursting in his skin. And therefore, as he sweats, he sweats blood and sweat mingled together. That's the intensity of the moment. He says, Lord, if there's any father, if there's any way this can pass, please. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Isn't it cool that the teacher showed us by example? Doesn't it add some validity to what I'm trying to teach you today? Knowing that Jesus say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He practiced it that day, facing the greatest trial any man would ever face. And he prays, not my will, but thy will be done. And then when the Gospel of John was written probably around A.D. 90, listen to what John says. He, he says these words. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that he, that we will have the petitions that we asked of him. So John later writes and says, here's the deal. This is the confidence that That when we pray, when we ask in accordance with his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, he will grant that. That's powerful. I mean, can you imagine the affirmation, the the signage, the, the, the power of knowing, wow, God's on my side because I see this happening in my life. But here's the deal. That's kind of hard with human nature because our human nature is that that God we want what we want and it's hard to trust him see if if there was a if God had like a want list and he doesn't because he's God but but you know he would he would say if we were to say God what would you like from us I think on that list somewhere would be the thought the concept I want you to trust me And never probably is that more evident than we're willing to trust him with our prayer life. When we're willing to follow what he taught in Luke 11, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is as in heaven. When we follow the example of Jesus in the garden facing the greatest trial that any man would ever face. And he prays and he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. When, when we believe, when we believe, when we choose to believe the word of God, where it says that here's the deal, we have confidence that he hears us when we pray in accordance with his will, that shouts, God, we trust you. But that is difficult. Can I have an amen? It's hard. In Romans chapter, chapter 8, verse 27, the Bible says, likewise, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Because he goes on and says, for we do not know um, what we should pray for as we ought. Praying, praying like Luke 11 and praying like, like the book of Matthew and praying like 1 John can be very difficult. And so God gives us a helper. He gives us 
a friend. I happen to be of that great generation that really knew what music was. The 70s. James Taylor, you got a friend. Don't you know you got a friend? Well, I'm here to tell you today. I don't know what James was singing about. He probably was high when he wrote it. But I know what I'm talking about. God sent us a friend. And that friend is his blessed, sweet, Holy Spirit. And when I don't know how to pray like I ought to, when when my circumstances are so difficult and I don't know how to pray like I ought to, when my fuzzy human logic gets in the way, it just makes sense. When, when, when 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 I want something so bad, there's this passionate desire, God, I want. And those times, have you had these times? Those times when you're wordless. It could be a tragic death. It could be bad news. It could be simply an overwhelmingness of the holiness and power of God as you fall on your face before Him to worship. I don't know. But sometimes the words just aren't there. Wordless prayer. Sometimes. And God knew... For us to fully appreciate the power of prayer. And to fully appreciate the power of prayer. To affirm that God is for us. We would need a friend. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes smack dab in the middle of the macaroni and cheese. We backed up a little toward the edge, but right smack dab in the middle of the macaroni and cheese. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is so powerful. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. Did you know I just read to you that the Holy Spirit who lives within us and and the verbiage of the Greek, the tense of the Greek, where it says that he makes intercession for us is a constant, ongoing, nonstop. That that our Savior sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession. The Holy Spirit who lives within us constantly making intercession for us. Two great intercessors working on our behalf. And when we don't know how to pray, He is intercessing for us. When my circumstances get in the way of my prayer life, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for me. When my fuzzy logic gets in the middle of the way, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for me. When my passion desires, when I just want something so badly, simply because I want it. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for me. And when I'm wordless, and you go, and when is that, Dwayne? (laughs) When I'm wordless. When I get on my face and nothing comes out. The Holy Spirit is making intercession. With groanings that cannot be uttered. It's just powerful. It's just a, 
you ought to just be overwhelmed. Wow, you mean, you mean God would do that for me? Yeah, because see, he's for you. Come on now, he's for you. He's for you. He's for you. He's for us, his children. It goes on and says this. Now, he, God, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus and Father, in perfect unity. And the Spirit, even when we don't know the will of God, we don't know how we ought to pray, knows perfectly the will of God. is making utterances for us. Isn't that powerful? You've got such strong, listen, you've got such strong allies in your prayer life. You just don't be, you may not be aware of them. But God is working on your behalf in your prayer life. And I'm telling you, there's conversations going on with you and God that if we could, with spiritual eyes, could see, it would literally just blow our mind. And, I, and we know, listen, you know, we need to know that the intimacy of real conversations. I, we heard in our Sunday school movie today when a husband and wife were fighting and he called her and she was angry about that and, and she said, yeah, maybe we can have a real, comp, real private conversation sometime. There's intimacy in a marriage, in a relationship. There's intimacy when true communication occurs. And I'm telling you, there's intimacy... There's intimacy, now just let this soak in. There's intimacy with Creator God. And you as a human, there is incredible intimacy with you and the Father in prayer. Wow. Wow. You've got God on speed dial, you've got God's private cell phone number. We all feel special, don't we? When the doctor says, here's my private cell phone. Call me at any time. You just feel like, wow. We were eating at Red Lobster. And we had a great waiter. His name was Freddie. And I love to mess around with the waiters and stuff. You know, I just, I just get a kick out of that. And he was talking about, you know, we were special. And he would do this and that for us on our order. We always confused the waiter and waitress. You can ask Jeremy at the barbecue bar. And we love to confuse people. And we do a pretty good job of it. So, so we just messed up the order entirely, you know, well. And then I finally said, we'll eat whatever you bring. Well, I heard him, another table sat down next door, and I heard him say these words. Well, I can do that for you because you're special. You know what I did. When Freddie came back, I said, I'm just really discouraged. <laughs> and Freddie goes, uh-oh. <laughs> I said, I heard you tell that lady over there. She was special, and I thought we were special. And I think he said something like this. Well, you're special in one way and she's special in another. God thinks we're all special. Come on. Just because you've got reverend in front of your name. Or you've got a piece of paper that says you're a, you're a deacon. God loves us. We have a God who's for us. Reverend or no reverend. Doctor or no doctor. Deacon or no deacon. God's for us. How powerful is that? So that leads us then into verse 28. And watch. And we know 
that all things work together for good. And the obvious question is, what things? Those all things? Those things. We mean those things. When we don't know how to pray as we ought to, and the Holy Spirit, those things on our prayer list that we don't know how to pray, and God is writing a different answer than the one you wanted, Paul is telling us, don't be discouraged. Because God has an answer, and it may not look like the answer you were expecting, but God can take... Amen. God can take that answer and turn it out for good in your life. And yes, listen, and those things, those things may be difficult. Can I have an amen? Sometimes they're hard. We heard a little bit about suffering from, from David in, in Romans chapter 5. We, we do suffer. But God has a purpose. And he has the ability to bring out this good. You know, see, things don't work out. God works things out. There's a difference. God doesn't, God doesn't take your, what you would call, arbitrary circumstances. Your everyday circumstances. And he doesn't take that, that mess that we make of our lives, and somehow bring good out of it. No, he's working in the circumstances. We have a God who's very intimately involved in our lives. And I'm going to tell you the purpose in just a moment. But God, God has an intimate plan in our lives. And He is working something out in our lives. And that works for our good. It does not mean all the circumstances are good. You've lived long enough. If you're 12, you've lived long enough to figure that out. No. But God has the amazing ability to bring good even out of the most difficult Circumstances. It's amazing. If you will. Take, take a lump of clay. And the lump of clay is meaningless. Until the potter takes that clay. And begins shaping it. And molding it. And the master has the ability to create a masterpiece. The master has the ability to create a masterpiece. And in this case, the master has the ability to take these things in our lives and create a masterpiece. Now, now sometimes we see it, Ryan. Sometimes we see it immediately. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes it might be eternity before we see what God was doing. But you trust your pastor and the word of God that one day we will know. Whether it's here on this earth or whether it's in a place called heaven, we will know what the master potter was working out in our lives with those things. And I don't know. May I be honest? I don't know. I don't know if I'll remember a prayer I prayed and it didn't turn out like I thought. And I said, God, I seem to be praying in your will. What's up? And one day I might just get to heaven and have the mind of Christ fully and understand, oh, that's what you were doing. We just might have some aha moments in heaven as well as some aha moments here. Can I have a witness? God is working on our behalf. All things work together 
for the good uh, uh, according uh, uh, to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Now, get this. What kind of people begin to understand? What kind of people begin to go, aha, I think I understand now what the word teaches. The people who love God and the people who are called according to his purpose begin to understand what I'm trying to teach you in prayer today. Because you see, when you love God, and he says that, can I read it again? He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We get that. We get that. And if we love God, as we learn As we learn to love God, God loves us. As we learn to reciprocate in that love, we learn to trust Him with things that don't make sense. We learn to trust Him with our prayer life. We learn to trust Him with... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. We learn to trust him when we're in our garden of Gethsemane, when we're in our garden of Gethsemane, and it's our sweat drops of blood, and it's the most difficult thing we ever faced, and we're able to pray from a sincere heart and say, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. I would prefer this cup to pass. But if it's not your will, then your will be done, not mine. And he has a purpose. He is really, look, he is really working out in our lives a purpose. He is really working out a purpose. Let let me read a couple scriptures to you. Listen to this. The first one was written by Paul. Actually, both of them were written by Paul. The first one was written by Paul and is contained in the letter to the Philippians. Now, when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians... He was in jail. Got that? Have you figured out something, by the way? If you're, if, you, if you're a Bible person, have you figured out some of the most powerful teachings from Paul came when he was locked up? Did you know some of the most powerful lessons we're going to learn about God is when we're locked up? Can I have an amen? I know, I know, I know. We all want to go to vacation in Florida and live there. But the reality is, in God's scope of eternity and what he's trying to work in our lives... We may just end up in jail, locked up. Here's what it says. Now, I want you to know, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me, what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for or is in the cause of Christ. For the cause of Christ. I want you to know, Paul says, that I am in these chains. I am locked up. But I can tell you one thing. It is for the fervorment of the gospel of Christ. Wow. Wow. So, Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne. So, so when I'm in what seems to be a prison, my emotions... My circumstances, I, I'm, in this, I'm in this jail. You're trying to say that God can even work in the midst of my prison? Yes! That's exactly what I'm teaching you today. But we have to be a people who will trust God with our jail time. We've got to trust God with what he's doing through our circumstances. 
We've got to trust God with what He's doing through our relationships. We've got to trust God with what we would call either train wrecks or bumps in the road. We've got to be willing to trust God. Listen to this scripture. Someone here this morning will probably get this or somebody on the radio. Concerning this, Paul writes, from 2 Corinthians 12. This is the story where Paul has a thorn in the flesh. And and don't you dare poke your wife. Don't you think that she's your thorn in the flesh. Ma'am, you didn't poke him, did you? Paul has this thorn in the flesh. And so he says to God, God, I want you to take it out. To get rid of it. I asked him three times, he says. Listen to this. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace, someone say amen. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that, the, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. It's never been a problem with me to put fuel in my body. It just sort of happens naturally. But I do have a problem burning the fuel. If all there was was putting gas in the tank, gas in the tank, gas in the tank, I would be quite the athlete. But you and I both know that the strength comes from exercising and burning the fuel. We are made strong through catastrophes. We are made strong through difficulties. Is it pleasant? No. You know, Rod Wallace can talk to me all he wants to about that gym. And the, and the pleasure he gets of, I'll take my pleasure in apple pie. Strength training is work. And so is trusting God. So is trusting God. And I'm telling you, there's this huge promise that all things will work together for good. He will work it out. We may see it here, we may not. But all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. He has a purpose He's working out in our lives. And you're saying, I don't like that. Me either sometimes. But I'm telling you, would you please let me in the eye? God is telling us, trust me today. I know you don't like it. I know it's hard. I know it's broken your heart. But trust me. Because I'm for you. And if you ever doubt I'm for you, go back to there. Go back to a dark Friday afternoon. When God nailed his son to the cross. And the full wrath of God was poured out. 
And God himself turned his back on his son all for us. That we could have redemption. That our sins could be paid for. That we could be called children of God. Not by our works, but by his amazing grace. Wow. God is for us. Yeah. He is. He's for us. In verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I just want to say this. There's a great debate with the word foreknowledge and, and predestination. Foreknowledge and predestination. I mean, it goes all the way foreknow. To foreknow meant simply that God knew I was going to make a decision. To, it goes this far to say that God not only knew I was going to make a decision, He knew me in, a cre- in creation past, not future. In creation past, He knew me, had relationship with me. He knew my personality. He knew me personally. It's wings and those things. He... Predestination, you know, that some of us were predestined to be saved and some were predestined to be lost. I don't know about all that. I know theology is hugely important. But can I say something? Let's don't spend all our time debating theology. And it's important. Don't you dare say. I said it wasn't important. Let's don't spend how much of our time? All our time Debating theology while the world dies and goes to hell. It's kind of like this. The building catches on fire, so the five trustees have a trustee meeting. And they go over to the fire extinguisher on the wall, and one trustee says, you know, I really think that fire extinguisher is in the wrong place. Another trustee says, I think it's mounted too high anyway. And then someone said, are you sure that's even a, a, a fire extinguisher? Perhaps it's just a red tube. And the other two have decisions... And someone needs to walk up and say, there's a time to debate about the fire extinguisher. Would someone please pick up the fire extinguisher and put out the fire? I'm telling you guys, there's a world lost. And the gospel's the only hope. We've got to get busy and share this great gospel of Jesus Christ. If we truly believe it, let's quit talking. Let's start doing. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Listen, let me give you your predestiny. Your predestiny is to be conformed to the image of His Son. What God is doing, you might say, what is God doing in my life? God is making you in the image of His Son. To be conformed to that image. Why? Because He says that we might be, uh, that we might be the, He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's goal for us is when we get to heaven, it's to be a heaven that looks a whole lot like Jesus. Practically, And positionally. Positionally, listen. You don't get this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Positionally, you already look like Jesus. God don't see a beat up sinner. Because of his amazing grace. He sees you through the blood of his son. He sees you holy and pure and white. And one day we get to heaven. And we spend eternity praising the one that we look like. Our big brother, Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that just powerful? Isn't that just incredible? He goes on and says this. Moreover, whom he predestined. Oh, let me back up. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. They, 
he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, who he predestined could be conformed to the image of the Son. Those he also called. 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 Another sweet work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit shows us what we can be in Christ. He shows us the power of the cross. And the Holy Spirit even helps us become saved by, by, by causing us to desire repentance. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. I've heard it's debated whether that not of yourselves refers back to faith or not, but it makes a lot of sense to me. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. The Holy Spirit woos us, shows us the power of the cross, and then helps us into the kingdom. Those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. Now, let me tell you how much God is for you. God is so much for you. Is God for you? Yeah. Let me tell you how much God is for you. He made you righteous, even though you didn't deserve it. He made you righteous without one stitch of your effort. He declared you righteous by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And then he glorified you. Did anybody notice something? Did you notice Paul used the past tense? Now we won't be glorified until we get to heaven. Can I have an amen? Let me tell you something. Why did Paul use the past tense in us being glorified? Because it's as good as done. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You need to know this. This is how much God's for you. You could not be saved by your works. Have y'all heard that before? You could not earn God's favor. As you go through this sanctification process, which really is what Romans 8 is all about, when you go through the sanctification process, the process of sanctification, sanctification is by daily grace. You don't walk in your own power. You don't maintain God's favor by your own power. Grace. And one day when you breathe your last breath, you will enter heaven's glory glorified by grace. And God sees you. Now this is going to sound crazy, I know. But God sees you as if you're already there. Now, how in the world are you going to lose your salvation if you had nothing to do with getting it, you had nothing to do with keeping it, and God's already got you in heaven in a mystical, wonderful way where time doesn't matter? Let me read a scripture to you. Listen to this, and then we'll be done. Going back to that wonderful Ephesians chapter 2. But God who... There's that but God, David. There's but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, now listen, he also raised us up and not will seat, but seated us in the heaven. So that in the ages to come, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us 
in Christ Jesus. Seated us, past tense, in heaven. In other words, you're so secure, not in you, but you're so secure in Christ that God sees you as if you're already in heaven. Is God for you? Ooh, He's for you. He's for you. So when those circumstances come that we don't understand, when your logic, you say, God, I know you're smart, but my logic, it seems like it's smarter. Or God, when I want something, I want something so badly. I'm wordless, speechless. Would you hear the God who is for you say, Trust me. Trust me. I'm working out in your life. And one day, sometimes here, definitely there, I'm working out in your life a marvelous purpose. I'm making you like my son. I'm working out out in your son. Just getting you ready to be a trophy of grace for all eternally. Eternity. So I'm working it out. Just trust me. Just trust me. Would you bow your heads right there? Now you may have heard enough today I hope you did. About grace and about God and about what Jesus did. And you may just feel that Holy Spirit. You may sense that Holy Spirit. Something right now you can't explain might be pulling you saying, this is what you've been looking for. You are separated from me, God would say, but I want you to come into my family. And I've made it possible through the cross. My brother Brent, my friend Brent, will be standing right down here in just a minute. And we always give a decision time at the end because we don't give you the opportunity. Now, the bottom line is, Dwayne, do I have to come forward to meet Jesus? No, of course not. You can do it there. We'd be glad to talk afterwards. You can do it in your bedroom. You can do it at home. But I've got some guys down here, some friends, who have some answers and have a copy of the Word of God. And they like to talk with you, help you understand what it means as the Holy Spirit draws you. Conviction of your sin, turning from your sin, and receiving God's amazing grace. That's why we have this decision time. So when Brent stands down front, as the team's going to sing in a minute, we just invite you to come. If you've got questions, we'd be glad to do the very best we can to answer them. A lot of people in this room know what I'm talking about. For me, it was 1975. I lived a very religious life for the first 21 years of my life. And then I met Jesus. I'm telling you, it's been a great ride. It's been a great ride. I invite you to come. Now, maybe you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. But you're in a hard spot. This is is new teaching for you. And you, perhaps the Holy Spirit has given you enlightenment. And you're going, this is from the Word. And maybe God wants to impact your prayer life today. Maybe God wants to help you understand what He's doing in your life. And you may not get a clear answer. 
but you know He's calling you to trust Him. We'll have some friends down here who want to pray with you. And there's always, maybe God's leading you into the fellowship of our church. As we talked about last Sunday night, you know Jesus, but you've never been baptized, and then you want to need to take that step of obedience. Perhaps God is calling you to a further area of service in your life. Or maybe you just want to pray. Maybe you just want to pray. Maybe you need to come pray and there may not be any words. But now you know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. So God, thank you for this opportunity. Have your way in our lives today. Help us to trust you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.